This is Puddler Quest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Puddler Quest is an hour-long podcast starring four, count them four, techno experts. With Eric Newman. Hi. Chris Grabowski. Hello. Tyler Dinner. Hey there. And our special guest, Brendan Byrne. Thanks for having me. This week's episode, Space Case. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Polar Request. My name is Eric Newman, and to my left, I'll say it's Chris Grabowski this time. Hello, how are you? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing quite well. I had quite a productive Sunday so far, as I heard you guys did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to your left is Tyler Dinner. What's Hello again. Hello, guys. And uh, I think we all have to uh, stop the show and welcome our special guest all the way from NPR with a very... Very kind of humble welcome to Mr. Brendan Byrne. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm sorry I don't have an NPR name for you guys. But... Oh, you don't have an NPR name. <laughs> this program is about 90 minutes. Um, and if this were an NPR production, I would be blowing my brains out trying to sound like this the whole time. But anyway. <laughs> I was kind of enjoying that why... voice, actually. It's, it's oh, the really? least drawing voice I've ever heard you do. I like, normally when nice. I hear your voice. <laughs> I'm going to need your resume. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, uh, Brendan, we had actually started this show uh, in a basement internet radio station right here in Brooklyn. And um, they had all of the mics and everything kind of set, toned towards the, this kind of very soulless NPR noise. And uh, because I'm a uh, spaz, spazzy Jew, it didn't work out too well. So, um, to business... Uh, this week's episode is about space, NASA, and space tech. And hopefully I don't pop on the piece too much. Um, it should be really exciting. And Brendan comes to us from the NPR station in Orlando, WMFE. Uh, you are a space reporter there, is that correct? That is correct. The and space reporter. There's only the one of us. The space reporter for the, <laughs> is that the closest NPR station to NASA? Uh, there is another one out there, WFIT, but they have a part-timer there. Um, his name's Rick Glassby. He's been covering space for a while as well. So there's there's two of us that, that cover space. Gotcha. Well, you're, you're serving the uh, metropolitan central Florida area. And That's right. And doing God's work. So we <laughs> appreciate <you>. <laughs> it. Uh, also, as, uh, produced by NPR is your podcast, Are We There Yet? That's right. And do you want to tell everybody just quickly what it is? It's a, a weekly podcast where we ask the question, are we there yet, when it comes to putting humans on Mars. Um, so we look at the human exploration uh, efforts that are happening, and we talk to engineers, visionaries, scientists, reporters. Uh, it's usually pretty fun. Uh, in two weeks, we're actually going to be talking to the guy who won the Space Poop Challenge. Uh, so he designed a spacesuit that you can poop in, um, and it <laughs> will take care of all the business and, and move all the waste away from your body. So that's the kind I, of stuff that we talk about on the wow, podcast. Well, I think, Tyler, you've been waiting for that. Uh, and you could just use that at work. You don't even need to go to yeah, space for that, I right? I'm dying to take a spook at the space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's great. And listen, we really appreciate uh, you being here. Hey, thanks for and, having me. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's quite a pleasure. And uh, NPR... Uh, does not produce this podcast, so we lack many facilities that you may like, but I believe this is going to hold together quite well. This is so. great. This is a, this is a top-notch uh, production here. I'm, I'm actually I'm quite impressed. Quite Why, impressed. thank you. Well, that's, <laughs> we apologize for delaying you, but, you know, stuff happens. Uh, but that, I'm uh, trying to build a media empire, and this is a slice <laughs> of it. So, um, 
to the news really quickly. Oh, by the way, I forgot, of course, you can check out Are We There Yet? Where finer podcasts are sold, which includes iTunes, where you could also check us out right on iTunes. So, Where is that slogan from? Where what? final things are sold. That's uh, from the 60s or something? Hmm. Some old, ad, some old ad copy. Yeah, good stuff. Before we get into space, I wanted to talk about something interesting in just general tech. Um, there's Angular 4? That came out this week? What happened to Angular 3? Oh, I know the answer Are they to that. pulling a, uh, I mean, are they, are they pulling a, a Windows? They are they pulling a Microsoft? They changed their, their numeration style. Um, Angular, because it was 1.x, 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 so then they got to 2. Uh, version 2.1 will just be now 3, and so they'll just jump like that. But now there's oh, that's 4. weird. Yeah, so now versions 2, 3, and 4 were just like how version 1.8 and 1.9, like they were, that's, that's what they equal now. I feel like very the, the guys well, maintaining they? NPM just got way more work. Oh man, <laughs> got to change like that tilde to now. a carrot. Just comes out. It's not. It's not like the old Angular version. But, but they were hyping Angular two, NG two, for a long time. I have so a friend in uh, Austin 2. who's been. Sorry. It's basically two point two. So version Angular two point oh. So Angular 3 is basically Angular 2.1, Angular 4 is Angular 2.4, they just, or Angular 2.2. They just changed the way it Has it been 10 years? I think it's been about 10 years since a bunch of, since the web browsers went on this, like, crazy versioning system. Uh, like, Firefox was notorious for being, like, Firefox 3, then Firefox 3.1, and now it's on version 65, because it just, every, instead of a, a, a decimal, it just, it just incre- increases the um, version number. And yeah. I guess Angular's doing the same thing. And, of course, to make a real statement, you've got to skip a number. That's why there's no PHP 6. That's why there was not supposed to be a Mac OS 9. There is no Windows 9. And I guess Angular 3 is somewhere lost in the wind. Um, so, Angular 4, the invisible makeover, is now available. This is a major release following our announced adoption of semantic versioning. That's versioning that argues a lot. So that entire website that you built six weeks ago, you can rewrite it now. Oh, I just got that Oh Really book. Rewriting your front end every six weeks. Yep. Uh, is there, what is React doing? Is React adopting this insane versioning policy? No, React, uh, granted I haven't touched the front end in about almost a year. Uh, that means two things. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Did you touch the front end? Hmm. Sorry. Show me on this dot. Never mind. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, from what I uh, can tell of React, it's been kind of sta- stable. Uh, I'd say latest releases have definitely been more focused on things like bug fixes, and um, if they are adding new features, they're very subtle. Interesting. So more infrastructure development, you could you could say. No, just, I would uh, not say you, infrastructure. No, you wouldn't say that. Okay. No. Well, that's what I would call bug fixes and stuff, is making sure the core of it works well. Is Stability, that not... maybe. Stability. Okay. I was going to make an analogy about spending money to uh, fix the subway tracks rather than just giving everybody free Wi-Fi so when their train is delayed, they could at least surf Facebook. But that's another story. Uh, Brendan, do you code? I do not. I do not. Okay. Do you want to? Uh, there's, there's, I actually do. There's, there's quite a big movement in data journalism and, and learning how to code, so I, I do want to try to figure it out, but... Uh, well, we're here to tell you to not, because it hurts our job <laughs> prospects. No, 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 of course. Any, 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 uh, any new thing you could learn is great. It's a good brain game. 
Uh, Angular and React are two very popular JavaScript frameworks. Have you heard of JavaScript? I have. It keeps asking me to update it every time I turn on my laptop. No, 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 no. That's Java. Oh, okay. <laughs> actually, those are not related at all. Uh, Java is a programming language that uh, was made by Sun, now is owned by Oracle. And JavaScript is a scripting language that runs on just your web browser. Uh, it was called or JavaScript. Or in the back end now. JavaScript is called JavaScript. Why? Tyler, do you know? Uh, it, not really. It took Christian, I know you know the answer, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay, well then the answer is, because 20 years ago, uh, Java came out, and it was a hot new thing. And so uh, I believe Netscape is responsible, or the people who made Netscape so are responsible true, for the first... So hold the on. For th wait, 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 let me finish. For the, for the first scripting language that they made, but they wanted to, uh, they wanted to um, capitalize on the popularity of Java, so they called it JavaScript. Completely different. Everything is completely different. Just to popularize. Mm. So the original plan was to just have Scheme in the browser, which Scheme what is, is an, Scheme? It's a dialect of Lisp. Oh, and they were so doing that back then? That, that was the goal. Uh, but then uh, more marketing people at Netscape said, let's make it more Java-like. So all of a sudden you had ob objects in there. And so it was this combination of like, Java the original and JavaScript? Scheme. And that's what they called Net Netscript. And then eventually they even help uh, marketing more. They changed it from Netscript to JavaScript to try to push that, hey, it's like Java, but it's not. So they, there was a real element of trying to make it like Java. Not exactly like Java because there's a lot of pushback, but from a sales perspective, they were like, hey, we should use this because right now the only way to do, do interactive things in the browser were these Java applets, which, right, which anybody who played RuneScape. Still may exist. <laughs> they still might exist somewhere, especially on government websites. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it was interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, so, uh, next, there's been a lot, of, a lot of tech news has happened this week. Uh, ransomware is really big. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, there is an uh, Apple ransomware, or, sorry, alleged, somebody who's trying to extort Apple out of a lot of money uh, through alleged iCloud hacking. And they want um, $75,000 in Bitcoin or $100,000 in iTunes gift cards. Wait, was this the one that involved Emma Watson and that other girl? Uh... I don't, I don't, I don't know. They've been calling it the Fappening 2.0. I'm gonna say no. I believe the Fappening is what happens on Friday night in your apartment, but... Uh. Is that what Shabbat is for? <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. I actually, I actually know the answer to that. It's true. You're supposed to do it on Shabbat. I believe that counts as work, so you probably <laughs> uh, can't, can't do that until sundown on Saturday. No, but, but you're supposed to increase the population that day. Right. Anyway... Uh, so, ransomware risks remote removal of your data. Let's hear it from our news department. Nomadia presents News to You. The internet, Tuesday, March 21st. A hacker or group of hackers possibly obtained access to up to 300 million iCloud and Apple email accounts, threatening to wipe everything unless Apple pays their ransom. Known as the Turkish crime family, they're asking for $75,000 in Bitcoin or Ethereum or $100,000 in iTunes gift cards in exchange for deleting their swath of data. 
I just want my money, the hacker said, noting that Apple users would be apt to pay attention to this news story. These hackers have created a YouTube video allegedly showing them logging into these stolen accounts. They plan to trigger iCloud's remote wipe feature if Apple doesn't pay up in time. However, Apple does mention that there have not been any breaches in iCloud or Apple ID security, and the alleged list of email addresses and passwords appear to be obtained from previously disclosed third-party sources. But what does this mean for computer security going forward? Only time will tell. And though many Americans are afraid of what happens next, we at least know the world still turns and the truth marches on. That's why this has been News to Use. Brought to you by Pneumonia. And I think I said it all right there. Mm-hmm. Is there anything? I mean, it's pretty much, that's a little, that's a little ridiculous because it's basically just extortion. Well, are that's what all these ransomwares are. One, yeah, one at a time, please. Are they really accepting iTunes gift cards payments? <laughs> Notice that they want $100,000 in iTunes <laughs> gift card or only seventy-five grand in Bitcoin. Which is <laughs> more valuable? Obviously the Bitcoin, Bitcoin, depending on the day. but Depending on the, the day, Bitcoin. right. <laughs> right. Brendan, do you have any uh, Bitcoin? I don't have any Bitcoin, but I do have something I can weigh in on this conversation please, here. Please, jump on in. Do so, you have iTunes gift cards? I, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to request $100,000 in iTunes gift cards for my <laughs> appearance fee here. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> ransomware is something that, that we've had to take a, a long, hard look at in the radio world because – a lot of our automation systems, so that's that's the system that, that plays all of our underwrites, it plays all of our uh, pre-recorded content, uh, plays all the programs that come out, is basically a computer system that's on a network. Um, and there's been a few public radio stations and also commercial radio stations that hackers have taken over their automation computers and held it at ransom. And the folks at, at the FBI and, and, um, and other... Uh, consultants said just pay them <laughs> but that, that's basically wow. the only way that we can we can get your system back and get you back on the air so it's, it's something that's um our automation system at our station is not connected to any external network because of the risk of of coming in so you can't remote into our computers anymore uh you physically have to be in the building to adjust the playlist and stuff because it was such a threat to to radio stations uh across the nation wow uh, I thought we didn't negotiate with terrorists. I thought that was a policy <laughs> that we so had. Too. <laughs> I thought we didn't pay ransom. We didn't negotiate with. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? You ever buy a mattress? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seriously, what is that? That was from something. Yes. Uh, anyway, American Dad. Uh, American Dad. Um, no, but uh, I. I mean, first, I think we should say that m- most things, most like, even though they're computers, most things that do specific stuff in, in the internals of a company or organization probably should not be on a network if you can help it, or oh, at least absolutely. not be on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the title of another O'Reilly book. Let's put that on the internet. A Beginner's Guide to Ransomware. Um, so, hmm. it's interesting. Uh, has anything So has anything happened to you guys locally in Orlando? Uh, no, not to us. Uh, we, we, as That's I was good. telling you, before we start recording, acti- we are active. Oh, activate, sorry, you're acting preemptively. There yeah, we and, we, and we've got a really great engineer who understands those risks. But, I mean, I've heard horror stories of, you know, people taking over playlists and just, you know, 
playing obscenities and all that stuff, which not only is is terrible, but it relates in some uh, FCC fines. And I was going to say, that yeah, stuff. that's, that's <laughs> yeah, federally like, illegal too. Yeah. That's you guys could be in some hot water. Yeah, I can't believe. I mean, it makes sense because of the uh, science of encryption, right? That it would be impossible if done properly to decrypt your stuff. Uh, which might be why the government is trying to make it illegal. Not like it would stop that, but you know, well, it's, it's another story. one of the reasons why the government's trying to make encryption illegal. Right, but like I said, it's not going to stop that because no. these ransomware people are still going to be able to access the encryption that is again math. Um, yeah, well, that so, and encryption at this point is inherently involved in computers. There's just parts of it so deeply embedded in code that in order to have an operating system, you're just going to have to live with it. Yes, exactly. Well, here's something more spacey. There's a Star Trek-themed ransomware. Uh, it's called Kirk. Mm-hmm. Kirk ransomware comes in guise of stress testing tool and demands 50 Monero, or $1,100, to unlock. Yeah, these are, this is a much lower, much lower. First, uh, by the way, I should mention that Apple stuff, there's no definitive proof that this guy has anything. And, and Apple, um, I'm sorry. I take the back. Apple said that the stuff that he has was not from them. It's from some other third party, so maybe he can't do this thing. Do you, do you, what, are the, what is the likelihood of up to 300 million Apple IDs and iClouds could be compromised? iCloud accounts could be compromised. Uh, well, uh, in the past, it was pretty likely it happened. Oh, yeah. well, that's not, that's not hopeful. <laughs> Let's also consider that Apple is not necessarily crushing it these days. I think in terms of they're, they're, they're all, not they're necessarily all Tesla to work on the uh, self-driving cars. <laughs> yeah, even the guy but, who uh, created LLVM did. All they care about right, is the right. But I mean, I think iCloud is supposed to be really secure. I mean, it's basically just an object store running on a Mesos cluster with. Uh, yeah, like but a they said everything is encrypted. Isn't everything disc, whole disk encrypted on it? That could be. It depends. I guess. You don't really need access to iCloud to trigger a remote, a remote wipe. You just need access to someone's Apple ID. Well, that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's much less secure than they could probably get away with not, not intruding into iCloud. Anyway, uh, a new kind of ransomware is doing the rounds these days with a Star Trek-themed decoder and a new ransom payment unit, the Monero, according to a report by Cluely Associates. That sounds fake. Uh, called Kirk... The ransomware comes in the guise of a legitimate low-orbital ion cannon tool, or LOIC, used for testing a website's capacity to deal with traffic load. First noted by Jakub Kraustek of Avast, Kirk appears on the victim's website as LOICWIN32.exe. Oh, that one, of course. Anything with Win32.exe is, uh, you know, it's either a virus or a screensaver. Right. Isn't everything Win64 now, at least? Yeah, I, I don't think Windows has 32-bit support anymore. Oh, no, it definitely does, because you can still run your Lotus notes on Windows 10. And anything that does require that kind of legacy support, you know this isn't a VM. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so Win, uh, LOIC Win32 uh, quietly creates an AES key that encrypts the files. An RSA 4096 public key... Oh, that is a good public key. Converts the AES key into... It says into PWD, as in those letters, like print working directory. After encryption, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock appear with the ransom demand. I wonder if uh, 
Shatner gets royalties from this. Well, uh, Spock is the uh, decryptor. I don't Shh, think we mentioned you that. Ruined, you spoiled it. Well, I gonna, oh, I, I thought gonna... that's what you meant. No. Oh. It says, after encryption, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock appear with the ransom demand. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah. Kirk moves away from the popular Bitcoin cryptocurrency and demands Monero. It starts with 50 units of Monero and moves up to 500 after two weeks. Failure to pay up within a month results in the key being deleted. This, the victim uh, agrees to pay the ransom. Spock appears to unlock the files. Experts say PWD should not be deleted if the victim will pay ransom because it contains the key. This sounds like a, almost a publicity stunt for Monero, in a way. Yeah, I haven't heard of them before this. Is that a company or a currency? Currency. It's, or a car. Nah, Maybe it's the Mitsubishi Monero. It does sound like a car. The Mitsubishi Monero. Monero. Yeah, anyway. Maybe a fish. Okay. Or a Fiat Monero. A Fiat Monero. Oh, it's, uh, oh, I'm thinking of uh, Canyon Arrow from The Simpsons. Oh. <laughs> Canyon Arrow. All right. Uh, to space. Does everybody uh, have some DMT? No. Uh, from the Associate Press. Associated Press, sorry. Not the Associated Supermarket. Uh, this is a little political, so strap on. In. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm off my rocker today. Um, President number 45 signed legislation on Tuesday adding human... Oh, crap, I just turned off my computer. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was a kernel panic. I got a kernel panic during huh. the podcast. That's not... I haven't had one of these in a long time. Was that on your Hackintosh or your laptop? I can't. Make okay. ice. Murphy's make Law. Ice. This is Murphy's Law in action. Because now, I, I guess the question is, how do you make a redundant recording station? No, no, no. no. My, my Hackintosh, if, if my Hackintosh died, which is running the show, then mm -hmm. we wouldn't be talking right now. Oh, so it's your laptop. It's my laptop, which is a real power book. It's a real MacBook Pro. Uh, and it just, it just, it just died. You gotta stop torrenting porn. That's all there is to it, dude. I don't torrent porn. I just use a different web browser. It's okay, Eric. <laughs> and I've it's told you too much. And it's classy and sophisticated. <laughs> the the problem is I had everything for this podcast me. pulled up in an incognitus window, so <laughs> now it's all. Uh, um. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, Trump, our fearless leader, signed a bill. Uh, saying th that he wants to put people on Mars. And I don't think he's talking about illegal immigrants. Hmm. Um, Brendan, <laughs> really do you have any, any insight while I try to recover my computer here? Yeah, um, so this, this is what's called a NASA authorization bill. Um, and it's not as big a deal as everyone thinks it is. Oh. Um, <laughs> is it, is, but hold on. <laughs> Are we it's going to Mars? We, are going, really just... we are going to Mars, and we were going to Mars in the last authorization bill, too, which I think was in 2010, so it's not... Yay! <laughs> okay. Um... But um, it, it's, it's a step in the right direction. So basically what happens is, is this sets the, um, uh, sets the groundwork for what is the more important appropriations bill, um, which comes out every year for NASA. Uh, but it did do some some pretty important things. Uh, for one, it got scrapped the asteroid redirect mission, um, which was kind of bogging down NASA. So basically, the ultimate did that actually work? 
Ever, did that actually ever work? No, never. And, and so here's the thing. Is, it's, it sounds really cool, and I've had people explain it to me, and it sounds awesome, but then when you think about it, it's awful. Um, so we have to kind of learn how to work in deep space again if we want to go – well, not again. We have to learn how to work in deep space if we want to go to Mars. So we were trying to figure out, hey, what's the best way? What's the best stepping stone? And um, under the Obama administration, they came up with this idea called the Asteroid Redirect Mission. Um, and I had this explained to me by a, a, con or a, a senator where basically we were going to go out and find a near-Earth asteroid. We were going to lasso it and put it in orbit around the moon. And then we would learn to work around this asteroid. Uh, now, so kind of like Armageddon. Basically, yeah. So when you hear a, a sitting senator say, we're going to lasso an asteroid, it sounds awesome, right? But um, it just it wasn't feasible, and we weren't going to learn that much from it. Uh, so Congress passed a bill a few months ago um, that just scrapped that, and now we're, we're looking towards the moon. So we're going to go ahead and, and reestablish ourselves on the moon instead. But, but with this NASA authorization bill, it does put... Uh, the focus on Mars yet again, uh, but with the stepping stone being the moon and getting rid of this asteroid redirect mission. Uh, and it does set aside, it, it says, hey, you've got $19.5 billion for NASA, which is good. Um, a lot of the, is that an, uh, How much is that compared to last year? It, I believe it's about budget? the same. So, so usually NASA budgets have been around $19 billion each year. So it's, it's no more, no less, which a lot of advocates and, and people that watch this were worried that it was going to be less than that. Um, oh, of course. So, yeah, so Especially with all the cuts to arts funding and other stuff. Exactly. Now, now where that money is going to be appropriated within NASA is what a lot of us are really looking at, um, you know, pulling away from uh, climate research, moving some of that money from planetary research and doing it towards more human missions to the moon and stuff like that is, is what the big concern is. But, I mean, it's a big step. I mean, we haven't had one of these uh, NASA authorization bills in a while, so it's kind of a refocus as to what NASA is doing. Uh, and another big thing is it establishes the NASA or, or the uh, the National Space Council. Now we haven't had this since George H. W. And that basically puts someone in the White House in charge of liaising between all of the different space industries. So uh, Vice President Pence will be in charge of the National Space Council, um, and basically anything that do that deals with space will go through this office. So NASA will go through this office. Uh, private industry will go through this office, uh, and it's basically a way to, to kind of have one leader looking at all of our spacefaring uh, industries uh, in one. So the the it, it's kind of mixed as to whether or not this is a good idea or not. We'll have to see. So it sounds quite optimistic, though, especially given all of the other political mishigas that's come out recently. It's very optimistic, and when you when you talk to industry folks and you talk to people that follow this a lot, and you talk to reporters like. Space is perfect for for President Trump. This is something that is tangible. This is something that's big. This is a race. This is something we can win. And a lot of people were very optimistic about what uh, President Trump has to to bring to the table. Um, I followed both campaigns when they were they swung through the Florida Space Coast, and you couldn't get the Clinton campaign to talk about space, but. But Trump and Pence, they were they were very optimistic about their space policy. You know, whether or not wow. we see anything about that um, is yet to be seen. But it, it's a it's a very optimistic look when you see 19.5 billion in the authorization bill. Um, whether or not we see that in the appropriations bills is is another matter. 
Um, but I mean, we're, we're optimistic that, and, and a lot of that money will, will come to Florida, uh, which is really what I'm concerned <laughs> with, with what I report on, uh, because we have the space launch system, we have Orion, all of that is, is happening here in Florida. So Now, it's interesting because um, with that money and also that NASA does uh, some climate research and that that is kind of being shut down, uh, Florida, I believe, is... Uh, being reclaimed into the ocean. We are sinking into slowly. the ocean, Eric. We are. You are literally a sinking <laughs> ship down there. We're not, I, uh... we're not doing so hot. <laughs> well, in Orlando, that you'll be beachfront property before long. I know. So. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's very interesting. So, is the 19.5 billion? Is that like uh, NASA may receive up to 19.5? Based, you know, uh, based on the brilliant people in Congress, if they decide uh, to want to do space stuff. Yeah, it, it all it all comes down to what the appropriations committees will do. Now, luckily for us, and, and this is something that NASA has done, is NASA has spread out it, itself through 10 different centers throughout the U.S. So there's Kennedy Space Center here in Florida, there's, you know, there's Goddard, there's Langley, there's JPL, there's Houston, um, and a lot of those, those, those Congress folks uh, that are in those states, they have some sort of NASA affiliation with their... Uh, with their states or with their constituents. So normally NASA gets the money they need because everything is spread out. Um, wow. And there's quite a few NASA folks on the um, on the appropriations committee as well. So NASA usually does fairly well when it comes to these appropriations. It's just a matter of where the money is, is supposed to go. So we're looking at 19 billion, which is great. Um, but where that money goes, is yet to be seen. A lot of the worry is that a lot of the money is going to come away from climate climate uh, science, and a lot of the money is going to come away from planetary science as well, and they're going to throw it all in human exploration, and really that's not where where the NASA folks want the money to go just yet. Really? But the thing that keeps people, so just the regular people like us, interested in, in NASA is unfortunately, I mean, I know that they do a, a bunch of cool stuff, but uh, is, is I think the real interest comes from, you know, another manned mission to Mars, or sorry, a manned mission to Mars, another manned mission to the moon. Um, and like the human element in just ha letting people watch this type of space exploration, I believe that's what got so many of the baby boomers intrigued into space in the first place. And it's like when we landed that rover on, on Mars a few years ago, Nobody cared, right? I, I think it, you, you you nailed it. That's that's what drives public perception and, and public interest in space exploration is humans. We haven't had a human launch from U.S. soil since 2011. I mean, it's been more than a half a decade since that's happened. And you're absolutely right that they're, and that's the the reasoning is they want to see people leave the Earth from the U.S. again, and that's that'll happen through our commercial partners. Uh, probably and mass deportation, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to. You're gonna get me fired. Um, no, no. Uh, no. That's the, the views and opinions expressed on Polar Quest. No. Um, but no, so, you're absolutely right. Well, so what's interesting? Well, thank you. What's interesting? I love being right. Uh, <laughs> just like our president. What's interesting though is uh, that the NASA people, so the people that work at NASA or who are around NASA, they don't think that space exploration is a big deal for the fate of humanity, for the fate of uh, NASA, for the fate of the universe, for, for what? No, I don't think that's... Maybe I, I, I misrepresented my point there. I think there's more pressing... I think what they're saying is there's more pressing things that need to be done when it comes to uh, exploration of our solar system um, that we still need to learn before we can send those those humans to 
out into deep space. So, I mean, we're, we're getting ready to do another another manned mission to the moon. Well, we've already done that, um, you know, and they're trying to look ahead of that and look at putting boots on the ground on Mars and, hey, put another flag on the moon like we've already done that you know six times do we need to do that again or so you think <laughs> maybe that's why we're going is so it actually happens for the first time no I don't I'm not one of those people um <clears throat> but um let's see uh uh what a great idea that that could be how about you send congress to space said Ted Cruz okay uh now see that I that's wouldn't... happened before We've, the Congress went to space. We've sent, put him on first. We sent please. two members of Congress to space. One was Senator Bill Nelson uh, from Florida. He uh, he flew on, I believe it was Atlantis, the Atlantis shuttle. Uh, he was a congressman at the time. We also sent uh, another guy, Jack Gurn. He was uh, a senator, and he got so sick in space he was pretty much incapacitated. And they have an unofficial scale of space sickness being one Gurn. Um, and no one else has ever gotten <laughs> to that point ever again. So they, and they is that why that they, idea. Uh, is that why they expedited <laughs> development of the spacesuit that you could poop in? Yeah, the, uh, he probably would have liked that at the time because I'm sure he was he was yakking in his helmet. So um, that's got to <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Congress uh, they don't do that anymore. And then there was supposed to be a journalist in space uh, thing as well. And then there was Columbia and Challenger. So they don't they don't plan on doing that anymore. Right. Now, space shuttles, they're very much still 1980s technology, are they? Well, they're, they're no more. <laughs> they're, they're basically... Oh, they don't exist. Oh, right. right <laughs> they're right, museum right, yeah. pieces Sorry. now. Museum, right. Uh, do we have a new... There's nothing replacing them, though. So we have the SLS. Uh, that's the Space Launch System um, that's okay. under development that? by NASA. And that's our, that's our heavy lift deep space rocket. Uh, so basically, they're, they're reusing quite a bit of stuff from the shuttle. Uh, so they use shuttle main engines. I believe there's four RS-25s on it. And they're using shuttle solid rocket boosters. Those are the, the white boosters on the side. Uh, but it's a capsule. Uh, so it holds up to six, uh, six astronauts. Uh, and it's meant to go to places like cislunar space. It's an area around the moon. Uh, or also designed to go to Mars. Um, we have yet to launch that yet. That is, that is what a lot of the money of the Appropriations Committee gets dumped into is the development of the space launch system. Uh, but we're hoping to see a launch in 2018 of that. Um, wow. Yeah. It's exciting. They're, they're building the, the launch pad. I, they took me up to the top of it. It's very tall. It's very scary. <laughs> but, uh, but, but they're, they're making progress. So that is going to be the, the next generation of, of a, a federal agency's heavy lift rocket. That's great. How, how corruptible is this type of stuff or is it about as corruptible as any sort of government project where you can have your nine layers of contractors that just kind of f off a lot of the time or and they're all uh, related <laughs> and they're all really right they're all somehow related to the president like i was gonna say that, president i was gonna say they're all, all the contractors are related they're all italian you know the usual uh right i mean it goes through just any other government uh, bidding process um you know, there's there's some major players that that sent that that tend to get the the big contracts just because of their experience. So like Lockheed Martin and Boeing, and also Orbital ATK. But uh, I don't know how corruptible it is. That that's a good question. Okay, because a lot of, you know a lot of the military stuff is very has been very corrupted uh, with this multiple uh, inception like outsourcing. So it just makes me wonder. This 19 billion dollars could go a long way unless it's padded into the margin for nine different contracts. So. Well, um, I mean, bright side to that, though, is then Jonah Hill will have an excellent role to play in his next movie. <laughs> For those who have seen War Dogs. No. 
Did anyone see that movie? Christian saw it. Did you go? It with was Jonah a fantastic Hill? movie. It received great ratings. It was nominated for you, awards. You and Jonah Hill's parents saw that movie. That's <laughs> um, one thing I did want want to talk about is um, that NASA uh, is a sometimes forgot arm of the government. Or they're not. I mean, they're not really an arm of the government. They're a federal agency. I should say. Is that a better way of putting it, Brendan? Yes. Yeah. Um, and they're responsible for many, many, many pieces of technology that we take for granted today. And so much of the 21st century and late 20th century wouldn't have been possible without them in the first place. Now, ironically, as we've um, learned a lot of geography, geography through terrorism, we, there was another element that kind of propelled development of this NASA technology, and that was the threat of communism and the threat of Russia and the Cold War. And don't forget I Space Wars. And, and Space Balls. And I don't know. Oh, I'm, if, I'm saying that the, the idea was a uh, like Reagan had uh, Star Wars, the idea of lasers in space to shoot down missiles. Oh, but, Star Wars, right? Yeah. But, um, but that again, that was that you know would have been pretty cool. But it was developed under this kind of terrorist threat, this perpetual terrorist threat from an evil empire. Uh, it, do, without that, and this is very hypothetical, but I'm just curious. Knowing that a lot of the, the effort that was put into NASA in the second half of the 20th century was mostly to combat terrorism, communism, uh, it, does that element still exist today? Is ISIS going to launch a rocket anytime soon? No, I, I don't think ISIS is going to launch anyone to the moon anytime soon. But I think that people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are really giving NASA a run for their money. They are the new commies of the space race. Um, with with them, uh, both Elon Musk, uh, I believe it was, uh, my timing is all off, maybe it was late February, early March, announced that he's got two, two billionaires that want to be sent on a trip to the moon, um, on a trip around the moon, which is basically what NASA wants to do and has been struggling to do for years now. Um, and he's like, I'm going to do it in 2018. Uh, catch but wasn't Richard can. Branson supposedly doing stuff like this 10 years ago and then that, that never happened? Yeah, well, but... I, I think his idea was bringing himself in space, but... Yeah, I, I, no. I remember him booking people, and I think he had price. He had a price list. Yeah, uh, he, he, that, that's and that's still happening with with Virgin Galactic and also with Jeff Bezos. But I mean, Elon Musk is probably going to do this. <laughs> He's got the technology to do it. Um, and after, we're, we're t- oh, sorry, uh, we're talking about a guy who decided one day to just start to dig holes in the ground to get places quicker. Next thing you know, he, he's got an entire co- company incorporated digging holes in the ground to get places faster. <laughs> so, if anybody can make these things happen, it's uh, Elon Musk. Yeah. I, I, well, what is the? Oh, sorry. Go well, on, I think that the the basically everyone is jockeying uh, for for the president's support. This goes back to the NASA Authorization Act and and uh, and funding. Is NASA saying, "Hey, we can we can send people to the moon as well?" And uh, Elon's like, "Well, I can do it, and I can do it cheaper, and I can actually have people pay me to do it." Um, and then Jeff Bezos, uh, who, as you may know, is the founder of Amazon, but he also has his own rocket company called uh, Blue Origin. He's like, "Well, my big heavy lift rocket is going to send stuff to the moon too." So, I think that there's this competition, and with with the rumblings of of Elon and Jeff both saying that they are going to do this stuff. NASA came out, and their mission in 2018 was supposed to be uncrewed, an uncrewed trip around the moon for Orion. And now, as we speak, they are actually thinking about putting a crew on that mission just because Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos said they can do it too. Now, 
that's not what they've come out and said. That's what we're assuming. Uh, but you can start to see that the pace is, is starting to accelerate because of the private industry and how quickly they're developing um, and how much easier it is for them to get stuff done. So going back to your original point, is there, is there terrorists out there that are, <laughs> that, are, that are making us get into the space race? No, I think it's the private industry that is really driving NASA to make all of these uh, incredible leaps that, that they probably wouldn't take if, if it wasn't for folks like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson um, as well. Interesting. Here's a question. Is NASA, um, because it's, it's, uh, I get that there's competition from the private sector and that there, um, sorry, uh, that there should be a, a private space uh, industry. Is NASA supposed to just be a bootstrapper? Are they supposed to like, are they supposed to compete with these companies or were they, or were they supposed to just be the thing that allowed that kind of put space in everybody's minds and then inspired people like Elon and Jeff Bezos, who, in addition to his private space company we talked about, has a private uh, intelligence cloud with the CIA. Um, <laughs> so he's really good with the government right now. Uh, and, you know, these people, is NASA supposed to be competing with them or is, are they supposed to back away and say, okay, you're the private sector, we enable this technology, you guys can push it to new heights, literally and figuratively? If you ask NASA, that's what they want to be. They want to be the big picture folks. NASA's the one that goes to Mars and the private space industry takes care of the rest. Why, is, why does NASA want to be... I mean, I understand, like, from a, you know, a, a child growing up loving space perspective, but from a... It, Jeff Bezos probably also wants to go to Mars. Elon Musk probably also wants to go to Mars. Why, why doesn't NASA do something to help enable the private sector uh, rather than continuing to spend... And, I'm not, and, and if this sounds like I'm denigrating them at all, I'm not, because I'm a huge fan, huge fan of NASA. I used to have an annual pass to Kennedy Space Center back when I lived in Florida. <laughs> um... Uh, anyway, uh, but like that with with that money, would it be a better way to spend the money by uh, helping these companies do their thing and get off the ground? Because if they want to enable, let's say, private space travel, anybody, any billionaire with a big enough ego could go. Uh, why is why would NASA want to get in the way of that? I don't think they do, and I think that that's that's what they're trying to do. So, uh, Elon Musk. Last year, he announced uh, in Guadalajara that he wants to colonize Mars, uh, and he's going to send the his Dragon capsule um, to Mars in 2018. Uh, Will it be a self-driving capsule? Actually, it is. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of his stuff is autonomous, which is really cool. It's all touchscreen inside. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's modular code. You could just copy and paste that from the Tesla interface right into right, yeah, the spaceship. <laughs> Well, he and, and, parks. and he very well might be able to do that, but you have to go back and think that SpaceX was on the brink of bankruptcy um, <coughs> when they first were starting, and the only thing that got them out of the hole was NASA awarded them a commercial contract to send supplies up to the space station. Uh, and now that's what they do. Uh, they've sent up stuff, I believe it's been nine times now, they've sent nine missions with the same Dragon capsule. Uh, that they want to send to Mars, they've sent to the space station. Uh, and the same goes for other commercial operators. Orbital ATK sends stuff there for NASA as well. So NASA wants to look at big picture stuff and have the private space industry take care of other things. Now, a mission to Mars is a huge thing, and to send a capsule that big that Elon Musk wants to do is incredible, and NASA's really excited about that because we don't know, really know how to slow something down that's that big. On Mars, sure. so SpaceX is planning on using this retro propulsion technology that NASA's never 
gotten a chance to try. So NASA said, hey, if you're going to do that, you're also going to need to communicate to that thing. So if you give us all the data from that mission, we'll let you use our deep space network so you can communicate with it. So there's this symbiotic relationship that's happening right now. And it's going to be a mix between NASA and private industry that eventually puts boots on the ground. And I think they're starting to realize that. Um, But if you talk to anyone at NASA, they're saying, well, we're the big picture people, private space industry. They do the stuff that we've already done before. Now, is that just kind of uh, ego stroking? Yeah, that's bureaucratic talk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, it's very interesting. What, uh, I just had a, just had a question that totally just slipped my mind at somewhere in space now. (laughs) Um, what was it? Oh, uh, it's, it's interesting though, because if you, if you take it to like, if you use the same analogy, but with airlines, there's no U.S. government airline. There's the FAA that kind of sets the rules and regulations for air travel, but there's not a, I'm flying this airline that's run by the U.S. government. There's only private aircraft. There's only private air companies, and uh, they have to abide by the regulations of the government while they're in U.S. airspace, but that's all that happens, and the FAA is mostly just a regulatory body, and I don't even think they're really doing any research in air travel. Uh, Do you see that as NASA's future, as private space travel kind of matures? I'd say right now NASA is kind of like a teenager. Uh, I don't don't see NASA doing kind of the FAA role. I think the FAA is, is doing a role in space travel. Um, the FAA... Are they really? Yeah, no, they're, they're starting to... So we've got another really cool uh, thing happening here in Florida's Space Coast. It's um, there's, there's the Google X Prize, uh, and it's for the first person to set a lander on the moon, uh, gets a ton of money from Google. Um, and there's a company here called Moon Express, um, based out of Cape Canaveral, that wants to send a, a lunar grasshopper, basically. It's this little thing that hops on the surface of the moon. Uh, but no one's ever sent anything to the moon commercially. It's all been a, a government agency. Uh, so Moon Express asked the FAA, hey, how do we do this? And the FAA was like, well, listen, we're going to start regulating that. So here's the regulations. We have to check out all this stuff that's going to go to the moon. So I see the FAA as being the regulatory agency uh, and NASA still being the, you know, let's just, you know, launch stuff kind of place very interesting so had they not asked the faa and had they just kind of went to nasa there were no rules you think there that... were no rules until they went to the faa there's there's nobody has ever done it before so they had to so, right no what i'm saying is so there were no regulations since you went to the regulatory body and then you said hey i want to do this and they go oh you want to do this you know what we we can regulate yeah. that and, and then they did yeah, and, and now <laughs> they're ruining the fun well i mean i, I spoke with the ceo of, of moon express and he was like we needed to get regulation somehow and we just figured the faa would be the easiest so we went to them. okay yeah so, no it's, <laughs> hey if, it, if as long as it works yeah. it just uh yeah um keeping those guys in business um well they're misled and it's government uh just a quick overview of of some uh, technologies that we know and love today that are uh, provided by nasa and that would not exist if it weren't for space and it weren't for sp- space travel first leds LEDs, light-emitting diodes, red light-emitting, di- red light-emitting diodes, are growing plants in space and healing humans on Earth. The LED technology used in NASA Space Shuttle plant growth experiments has contributed to the, the development of medical devices such as award-winning Warp 10, I don't know what that is, a handheld high-intensity LED unit developed by Quantum Devices. The Warp 10 is intended for temporary relief of minor, minor muscle and joint pain. Wow, that sounds fake. But apparently true. 
Uh, infrared ear thermometers. Thank God that exists now. Um, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Artificial limbs. Uh, ventricular assist devices. Collaboration between NASA and doctors uh, resulted in a life-saving heart pump for patients awaiting heart transplants. The MicroMed D-Bakey ventricular assist device, or what Dick Cheney has, functions to a bridge to heart transplant by pumping blood throughout the body to keep critically ill patients alive until a donor heart is available. Uh, Anti-icing systems, uh, improved radial tires, chemical detection, video enhancing, whenever they say enhanced in CSI. Uh, inter, uh, Intergraph Government Solutions developed its video analyst system by building on video image stabilization and registration technology created by NASA to help FBI agents analyze video footage. Uh, landmine removal, fire-resistant reinforcement, firefighter gear, uh, temper foam, enriched baby food. There's a lot of stuff. Freeze-drying technology, of course. I may actually still have some freeze-dried technology that's 17 years old. Freeze-dried technology. Freeze-dried ice cream that's 17 years old uh, using the beautiful freeze-dried NASA technology. I probably shouldn't. I mean, don't, they don't actually use that stuff either, so. <laughs> you, astronauts don't they use don't eat that ice cream. ice cream. No, no. But I got it in the Smithsonian. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint, Eric. They don't eat that. Uh, that's really why I had you on, Brendan, <laughs> is, is to tell me that my... Your childhood is ruined. <laughs> my, my childhood is ruined. Do they have Hoberman spheres, too, or no? Is that also... <laughs> well, there's Starbucks in space like everywhere else. You just go and get your shit. There you go. I wouldn't be surprised you know with 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 commercialized space travel i wouldn't be surprised if there's like a starbucks like a starbucks something on the iss that's uh yes anyway elon um, musk made a point during his mars colonization uh announcement to say there would be restaurants on the interplanetary interplanetary transportation system like a pizza joint so I hope there's a there would be a sabaros because you need that mall pizza yeah um, let's see. Uh, better software. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we took a food court from a failing mall and put it in space. <laughs> Unfortunately, all the restaurants are from the 1980s. Um, from real-time weather visualization and forecasting, high-resolution 3D maps of the moon and Mars, to real-time tracking of the International Space Station and Space Shuttle, NASA is collaborating with Google. To solve a variety of challenging technical problems, ranging from large-scale data management to massively distributed computing to human-computer interfaces, with the ultimate goal of making the vast, scattered ocean of data more accessible and usable. Uh, structural analysis, refrigerated internet-connected wall ovens? What? Uh, more, internet of, uh, more Internet of Things things. Uh, embedded web technology software originally developed by NASA for use by, uh, by astronauts operating experiments on available laptops from anywhere in the ISS lets a user monitor and a control a device remotely over the internet uh, and then probably hack it. So, um, let's see. Christian, something you'll like. Powdered lubricants. Uh, improved mind, <laughs> improved mind safety and food safety systems uh, are just some of the technologies that wouldn't exist today if it weren't for the brilliant minds at NASA and the brilliant people in Washington that keep funding them. Powdered lubricants. I knew you were going to go back to that. NASA scientists <laughs> de developed a solid lubricant, contain, uh, sorry, a solid lubricant coating material that is saving the manufacturing industry millions of dollars. Developed as a... <laughs> Um, oh man! 
<laughs> All right, let's see if I can get through this with a straight face. <clears throat> Developed as... <laughs> Developed as a... Sh I'm, I'm sorry, I'm way too immature for this. <clears throat> Developed as a shaft coating to be deposited by thermal spraying to protect foil air bearings used in oil-free turbo machinery, like gas turbines. The, this advanced shaft coating, the PS300, <laughs> was, was meant to be part of a larger project, an oil-free aircraft engine capable of operating at high temperatures with increased, increased reliability, reliability, lowered rate, weight, reduced maintenance, and increased power. I may have actually seen that on Kerbal Space Program. I was going to say, is uh, ad advanced uh, chef uh, lubricants what you call your uh, skin lotion, Eric? You know, if you say it without stuttering, it sounds more like a joke. <laughs> I have actually used a powdered lubricant before. Well, that might have been developed by NASA. So <laughs> It was for the Pinewood Derby uh, when I was a kid for the Boy Scouts. And oh, the graphite uh, lubricant yeah, you put on the wheels. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did the same. Put powder it wasn't. It wasn't a shaft coating provided by deposited by thermal spray. It was certainly a shaft coating. That was for sure. It was a powdered shaft coating. Wow. Made my car go faster. Uh, another piece of NASA technology that uh, is working its way into our daily lives and will become more part of our daily lives as software developers is NASA's open source code library. If you go to code.nasa.gov. So, uh, it, well, hold on. Let me finish, please. Uh, if you go to code.nasa.gov, it'll give you a nice index of all of the little utilities that they make that are supposed to be used in bigger utilities that you make. Take it away, Christian. I'm saddened to see how many of these use the GPL v3. <laughs> but I thought they were all under the NASA open source license. No, There's it's a specific like, NASA open the first source three, license. And then uh, everything else is either GPL v3 or MIT. Okay, and uh, those are what? Oh, there, why is that, why does that uh, suck compared to the NASA license? There, there's a few in, in uh, the Apache license as well. So with the GPL v3, you can't use that for, uh, in commercial software. So you'd have to uh, use it for only creating more open source software. It, it, that's, I mean, like full stop, you can't. It's not a, there's no like, you can use commercially if. No. Uh, can you modify it? No. No. Well, then, this doesn't sound very open. This sounds like if you're well, making... So well, just, other... oh, wait, hold it. Does government count as corporate? No. Well, it depends on what they're using it for, but uh, basically they're not making money off of it is the GPL v3, and that's only a subset of all this software. There are, a lot of them are, are... I'd say most of them do use this NASA open source license, and then after that, the MIT is probably the next biggest, and then the Apache, but there are a, a handful that are using this GPL v3 and to me, those are the coolest ones because these are the ones that are actually dealing with uh, so, uh, a lot of the math and physics of like ang angle, uh, angle and trajectory stuff. There are also interesting things like, um, in fact, I actually saw a presentation a couple of years back from a company who are contracted to NASA, and their whole thing was actually taking uh, data from space and transmitting it back to uh, the ground and also keeping the data consistent globally, which is... All, uh, basically become a google project actually <laughs> interesting um, atomic clock are there any and, any of the utilities uh on on or on this page uh jump out at you uh looking through and uh the original apollo 11 guidance computer source code that's pretty for the command module that's pretty cool that's cool it's not the most useful thing but it's cool 
Well, I mean, you know, if you... Uh, one thing that I thought was actually really cool, but this is one of the GPL v3 ones, was the Pi Transit. Uh, the tool for actually uh, being able to uh, uh, calculate uh, exoplanet uh, transit light curves. And it, what is what is that? Exoplanet it, transit light curves. Yes. What is a transit light curve? A transit light curve is the uh, ability to travel uh, specifically in a ship uh, for, uh, around Earth in such a way that. Um, okay, now I'm getting a little lost, but. It is, Almost it, have it. It does have to do with the, the angle and trajectory of the ship as it leaves uh, orbit. Okay. Um, the exoplanet transit method. I don't want to get off track here, but uh, when exoplanets pass in front of their host star, as seen from Earth, a portion of that start light is blocked out, and a decrease in the photon flux is measured. Measuring the change in flux over time allows for the creation of a light curve. Fitting models to the light curve, various characteristics such as orbital motions and atmospheric composition can be extracted. Yes, basically what that is, is um, that's how we've discovered exoplanets. I don't know if you, you remember the, the big news a few months ago when we discovered a, a crown shot of them. Yeah, right? basically the, the transiting light curve is uh, certain observatories will look at a star um, and they'll notice that the star dims ever so slightly and that's because of Oh, and that's because something's body passing, passing in, front in front of it. So I believe that's what transiting right. light curve is, is being able okay, to... Okay, size way off. <laughs> yeah, not as cool. I mean, it's cool, but it's not as cool as, as flying into a, another solar system. But, I mean, that, that's that's really big stuff there. Um, if you can get more universities and, and stuff using that kind of algorithm to find exoplanets, then you can discover way more exoplanets. That's that's actually really cool, given how long it took for someone to have that have that idea. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Because it was like, how long have they been doing looking for planets via satellite images? Forty years? Uh, yeah, I have to look. I know that the late seventies. This transiting kind of method has taken off recently, just because of how good the optics have started to get on these observatories and right. having these observatories like Kepler and TESS and all that stuff that are actually in space. That don't have to deal with uh, the atmosphere anymore, but uh, it's just the beginning, I think, of of these exoplanet discoveries. So, if uh, so, uh, what about space selfies? Space selfies. Yeah, has that technology been developed <laughs> I'm yet? I'm sure it has. Uh, there, there's plenty of astronauts doing EVAs that take pictures of themselves, <laughs> but <laughs> nothing like uh, an Insta hashtag or a Snapchat filter in space exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah exactly um let's see so that was some nasa open source technology do you want to know my favorite uh, one that, that i i found when i was looking for oh this? yes <laughs> please brendan please do you have any? i do it's the florida uh, refrigerant online service tracking and the system allows users to meet state and federal regulation requirements to tracking freon which is very important stuff how about here's a better <laughs> solution why don't we kill those regulations on <laughs> there Freon? There we go, and then you don't need the system. And then, not a problem. No more problems. Um, nasty government regulations. Anyway, uh, there's uh, one thing that I believe you reported on, Brendan, and that's the uh, deep space atomic clock. Um, and I have it here, even though this website is very hard to navigate. I mean, it is made by the government. Thanks, NASA. <laughs> it's uh, a terrible website. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah. It's right up there with healthcare.gov. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
Precise radio navigation using radio frequencies to determine position is vital to the success of a range of a... Wait, actually, you know what? I want to sound more like... I want to sound more, more 50s with this. Precise radio navigation using radio frequencies to determine position is vital to the success of range of deep space exploration missions. The Deep Space Atomic Clock Project will fly and validate a miniatured, ultra-precise mercury-ion atomic clock that is orders of magnitude more stable from today's best navigation clocks. That's it. That was um, great. Thanks. I mean, I could, yeah. Thanks. You won't hear that on NPR. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so it's a more accurate atomic clock. Basically. And it's also a mobile atomic clock, which is kind of important. Now, I have uh, two quote-unquote atomic clocks in my apartment that I actually had to manually reset after daylight savings time, which is the number one reason why I get an atomic clock. <laughs> it's ter- These aren't atomic clocks, are they? That, that they're flying or the ones that you have? The ones that Probably I have. I mean, not. I know that they're yeah. radio <laughs> clocks, but those radio clocks aren't radioing very well. Uh, so what is this? So the, the reason that this is so important is... Um, so basically, let, let, let's think about GPS right now, the GPS system. Um, so when you go to ping a GPS satellite, you, you, you ping it with, with whatever device you use, and it measures the time it takes for you to ping the satellite and it come back again. Uh, that's called two-way communication, and that's how a lot of the, the deep space uh, spacecraft actually works, is you, you ping them and it comes back. Um, now, it, it collects that time that the spacecraft is keeping and then sends it back. So there might be these time shifts um, so you're kind of off a little bit. So this, this deep space atomic clock is an atomic clock that'll be mounted on the spacecraft itself, uh, that'll be able to make these recordings back and forth. But the really cool thing about it is it can, doesn't need to ping back to earth anymore. So what it'll do is it'll look for, uh, celestial bodies, like let's say a star or something like that, and track the time that it moves between that star and use that to actually navigate itself. Uh, so that's the big thing about these deep space atomic clocks is that there's a, it's a one-way navigation system where they don't need to rely on uh, a, a tracking station down here on Earth, and these things can autonomously navigate themselves throughout the solar system and, and possibly the universe if we get out of the solar system. Wow. So, so and, and that will always stay in sync, I guess, because it's so pretty accurate. Close. With, or it doesn't need to, it's yeah. one mm-hmm. microsecond of error in every 10 years of operation is what they're claiming. So... Oh. so what, one thing I want to bring up is, because I believe we've talked about atomic clocks in the past, uh, talking about uh, cockroach DB and spanner, where in the data centers, atomic clocks were used for data consistency uh, across communication due to latency. Uh, being able to use an atomic clock can actually uh, correct any, um, I guess you could call them race conditions, even though they weren't necessarily race conditions as much as just timing consistencies. I'm kind of just curious if they're uh, using that uh, these also to, for uh, communication back and forth. That I, that I don't know. Um, when I spoke with the PI, he was um, he was a space navigator, um, so basically he was telling me all about the the fun stuff they were doing. I mean, this is just a kind of a, a proof of concept thing. This is the first uh, prototype that they're going to send out in space, and they're really just looking to see if it can if it can work. It'll be in low Earth orbit. Um, so it's not going into deep space, and it's going to rely on the, the GPS satellites um, to kind of tell time for now. But they're hoping to get a, a working thing, you know, within a decade or whatnot. Clocks are very important to travel. I think that uh, the only thing that really enabled the whole age of explora- exploration was having a very, very accurate clock, which 
those clocks, uh, and most of them, I shouldn't say, well, I was, I was, sorry. Most of the clocks that were used for navigation in the last 200 years were made in America. Uh, the U.S. Navy has, has had some of the best timekeeping devices before the advent of atomic clocks and stuff like that. Um, uh, an atomic clock now, because there's one, I believe, we only really need a couple. There's one in Denver, is that right? Uh... It's, uh, or is that well, where just, maybe that's just where it There's one atomic clock in each of Google's data centers, so there's that. <laughs> oh, is there? Yeah. Well, uh, since 1967, the International System of Units, or SI, has defined the second as many. 9,192,631,770 cycles of radiation corresponding to the transition between two energy levels of the cesium-133 atom. In 1997, the International Committee for Weights and Measures added that the preceding definition refers to a cesium atom at rest at a temperature of zero Kelvin. So that is what an atomic clock does now. Um, deep sp and, and those atomic clocks, are, I guess, how do, do they all have to be in sync by uh, talking to each other? No, they don't actually talk to each other, atomic clocks. They use the, uh, this... Uh, uh, radiation calculation uh, here uh, of the atom. I mean, I understand, like, you can use the radiation to, to basically emulate a pendulum. Well, the whole... It the has whole to be advantage... calibrated to an initial uh, initial start time, right? Well, yes, you have the time that you uh, it's a, that the clock itself is initialized to, and then from there it, it uses the atom to calculate the time, which... Uh, the, this is the whole reason why, uh, from the more the data center standpoint, instead of using NTP to have this recent clocks all the time over the network, uh, you have this uh, thing where you're saying, I just go to the clock, uh, uh, I have my servers syncing their NTP to this, but I don't have an NTP server then having to sync its clocks somewhere else. This is just saying, this is my absolute time, and it's as close as physics will let me get to accurate but you could end up having multiple atomic clocks that are very slightly out of sync with each other. That was that was how I approached this this story when I looked into it, and I was like, okay, so we have an atomic clock to figure out. Hey, it's one fifteen p.m., um, but that's not really what they care about at this time. They, they don't. When, Is it for? It's really more for positioning. It's more for like, positioning. Uh, they don't longitude. Really, don't, the the spacecraft doesn't care that it's one fifteen. It just cares that this is how long one second is, so that I can do my navigation or I can do my my burns or whatever, that I know that one second is actually one second. It doesn't matter that it's quarter past. It just matters that this right. is one second. Uh, so I, 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 I think the syncing is, is kind of a secondary thing on this, but uh, it's more about the length of what one second is. Okay. And, uh, and that is becoming an increasingly granular definition, as we need increasingly granular definitions of time. Um... I believe isn't the uh, the Unix timestamp going to roll over sometime soon? No. No. Uh, there's that's a there's a, a giant death clock about that. I don't think so. No. Uh, no. It's, oh, it's the year twenty thirty eight problem. So, in uh, twenty one years. Okay. Like I said, soon. <laughs> <laughs> You'll run out of... In Unix, uh, time is represented as a 32-bit integer, and it just every second, since January 1st, 1970, I believe, it just adds to it, and will eventually run out of space in the 32 bits in year 2038. 
Now, which do you think will happen first, Christian? Will we run out of IP addresses, IPv4? We already we... are approaching that. Right, that's why I'm asking. But we haven't hit it yet. People have been talking about that for 10 years. We're very uh, close. Uh-huh, but we haven't hit it yet. We're very, very close, is my point. So, you, so you're, you're going to go with the we're running out of IP addresses before the 2038 problem happens? Yes, definitely. And if you're wrong, uh, will you buy me a beer in 21 years? I don't think we're going to be able to prove this because it's already the case that the goal is to move over to IPv6 globally soon. Well, and the goal is going to be to moving to 64-bit integers for time. I think you can do that already. It's just not the default. You could do IPv6 already. That's why I'm asking you this question. Yes, but the, uh, being able to move over IPv6 is a lot different than being able to move over timestamps. The whole idea of being able to move over IPv6 that has to be something that everyone does, as opposed to timestamps or something that, worst case, you have some conversion function that you. But what's going to happen with all of my websites that rely on the PHP time function? That's already bad. <laughs> oh, it is. Um, but at least there's PHP seven. That means nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just more numbers. Uh, let's take a break from space really quickly because another very interesting news story has popped up over the last week. That is assault with a GIF. And I'm not going to do my newsreel stuff because we already did that. Uh, but there's this uh, guy, Kurt Eichenwald. Eichenwald? The tech, uh, it, was, it was a case in Texas. A Texas grand jury has decided that a GIF can be just as deadly as a gun or a knife. The U.S. Department of Justice and a Dallas grand jury issued indictments on Monday. This was this past Monday. Uh against John Rain, that's with an R, Ravello, who was accused of intentionally tweeting a graphic interchange format, or GIF, animation, design, <laughs> designed to Newsweek... Oh, what? Desi did they read this? Designed to Newsweek journalist Kurt Eichenwald in order to deliver to Newsweek journalist Kurt Eichenwald in order to provoke an epileptic seizure. Somebody... Uh, the grand jury's indictment refers to the GIF as a, quote... Deadly weapon, along with a tweet and electronic device in Ravello's hands. Eichenwald, who has epilepsy, said the tweet Ravello sent him in December caused him to have a seizure. FBI's investiga FBI investigators obtained a search warrant for Ravello's account, in which he allegedly posed under the name Ari Goldstein and used the handle, I'm not kidding, Jew underscore Goldstein, and said that he found a series, uh, they found a series of direct messages that made Ravello's intentions clear. According to the DOJ complaint against Ravello, he sent messages to his friends after tweeting the seizure-inducing GIF, or GIF, to Eichenwald. One of the messages said, quote, I hope this sends him into a seizure. Well, that's very explicit. Uh, another read, spam this at Eichenwald. Let's see if he dies. So that paper trail really screwed him when it came to, <laughs> when it came to getting caught. Um, experts in tech, that's us. Were you asked, Christian? Were you asked about this? No. I wasn't asked about this. Uh, uh, experts in tech in cyber harassment law said it is likely the first time that a GIF has been de deemed a deadly weapon used in a physical assault. Quote, I'm unaware of anybody being criminally prosecuted for this. Defense attorney Tom, or defense attorney Tor, his name is Tor, Ecoland, who represents the clients of accused federal cybercrime. He's a cybercrime attorney and his name is Tor. That's brilliant. Uh, if it's not the first time, I'm it's one of the first times this has easily happened. 230 pounds, really large beard, glasses. Bald spot. 
not not, sure? not bald spot. If anything, kind of like long flowing uh, hair, kind of like a uh, Richard Stallman type. Who is he? Was he the do- that doctor wow. who signed? Uh... You're the host of a tech show and you don't know Richard Stallman. Uh, this is a little scary here. Who who is that? He's the guy responsible oh, for the, the GPL. He's the, new guy. he's the what? He's the GNU guy. Yes. Right. Yes. With a website that looks like it was made when GNU came out. Um, yes. Oh, but he has an RSS site feed that's so 2004. Oh man. Um, because he only uses open source technology that licensed under the GPL. Yeah. <laughs> and look at the website that he could make with it. Nothing. <laughs> that's nothing. It's in Times New Roman with no images because I'm sure they're all technically proprietary formats that you have to agree to a license agreement to use. Well, so, part, part of it, think, no, it's mostly because he uses Lynx as his uh, web browser. L-I-N-X. Does he really? Yes. Does that... Do you have to run, like, a Commodore to run that web browser these days? or No, it runs in your terminal. Right. I like, um... I used to use, like, HyperTerminal 20 years ago. Anyway, uh... Yeah, it's a very hand-coded website that, uh... Oh, look at that, some inline JavaScript. Uh, anyway. Richard Stallman. Well, if... Richard, if you'd like a new website, please write to me at eric at pneumonium.com. And you only accept it's open source, though, licensed under the GPL. <laughs> well, that'll make him another site in Times New Roman with no images. Um, anyway. Uh, so what do you think about this? Assault with a deadly weapon can now be a GIF that... Uh, can now just be a GIF. What do you think? Me? Anybody. Uh, I mean, in this specific case, it kind of was... But is that because of the motive? Is that because he literally said, "I hope he dies"? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, though, I feel like the, half the world can't handle the internet. <laughs> well, that's for sure. But yeah. we're all on it, so yeah, there should be like an IQ test or something. <laughs> there should be a there should be a driver's license to drive on the information superhighway. Yeah, I heard that one also twenty years ago. Oh, man. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to that, honestly. Of like a like a harassment and bullying exam. Like if you have to pass this in order to be able to use the internet without some kind of massive firewall on it, uh, I would. No, totally I, support I, I, that. I meant more of like you have to be at least this intelligent. I think we're saying the same thing. No, you're saying people uh, goodwilled. I'm 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 saying you can be malicious. Just be smart about it. <laughs> it's about critical thinking. Like you have to. If somebody calls you a name online, you can't go light things on fire yeah you know yeah like there i would totally support a test that kind of prevented that from happening uh this way if someone did that you could be like well that was really illegal because you took the test that said that you shouldn't do exactly this uh but it's it's interesting because in this tone of speech in this tone of kind of triggering people online and i've been taking a real break from that lately uh, (laughs) ah, uh, in this tone of uh, triggering people online uh, I mean, people—it's people have call are starting to call things violence that aren't violence. People are starting to dilute the the meaning of the word trauma, and that's very dangerous when you get into also a world where sending someone an ill-timed GIF. And I get that there was a motive element to this, but for the future, saying you know assault with a GIF can actually be criminal. Uh, 
That's very dangerous for free speech. You're being prosecuted for assault with a deadly meat spin. <laughs> <laughs> well, but if you're, you know, but if, you're, if you say, you, oh, this... Anything you uh, spray can and will be against you. Yeah, thermal thermal uh, shaft counting. Um, no, but it's... I mean, I'm being serious here, where people are already saying that they're already taking speech or words in a comment section. They're already elevating that to some perverse height, or I guess you could say lowering it to some perverse death, depth. Uh, can't you see people trying to... Is this a foot in the door to try to criminalize internet comments? Possibly. Saying, I, I, I had to go to the hospital because you said this, you called me as something on Reddit? Yeah, because you... I feel like you're reading into this way too much. Well, I mean, this is the first time that this type of stuff has happened, and we're getting to a certain point with internet culture where people are being able to take what people say on the internet not that well. Uh, I think... And it seems to be... And it, it's a becoming an increasing problem, I think. Yeah, the, 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 you have to look at the intent, and, and this is being... Coming from someone who's a, a journalist who really likes the First Amendment. That's pretty awesome. Uh, and, it, and it gets plenty sure. of people that... that um, I probably send me nasty messages on Twitter and Reddit all the time for my reporting. Um, but, it, it, you know, you just, I'm used to it. I look past it. Uh, but it, it's it's the intent of it. If it, it was meant to cause physical harm, then then that's a problem. Um, you know, there have been cases about cyberbullying in the past that, you know, you know kids say things uh, to other kids, and, and then those kids commit suicide or something like that. Who, who's at, at fault there? Uh, but yeah, you're right. Exactly. It's a it's a, it's exactly. a dangerous precedent, and and I think that it's you have to look at intent. Um, and I just I deal with the the eggs on Twitter and just kind of laugh at them. But I mean, there's other people that that aren't in my As there's you aren't people in my position that that get people yelling at them all the time. <laughs> so uh, it, it's it's different. It's a slippery slope. You're right, Eric. And, and and I'm not and I don't want to and I don't mean to uh, with this kind of standard boilerplate disclaimer I'm not trying to marginalize any sort of real stuff that's happened to somebody, um, but like I said the real stuff is being massively diluted by I don't want to say snowflakes but snowflakes that kind of get an idea in their head that something is much worse than it is. You can give yourself an anxiety attack. Back when I lived in Pittsburgh, I gave myself anxiety attacks over train noise because I because they were coming through so quickly and I couldn't ride any of them that every time one came through and I could hear it in my basement, I would just go, ugh, and I would almost feel sick. And I had to get over it. It was in my head. And I'm not really a role model for the whole internet, but if this stuff is in your head, you are giving yourself the anxiety attack. You can give yourself, you can get yourself out of it. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do, but it's honestly the better way because then you'll be less stressed. You'll be less stressed over what you read. You won't care about stuff that some random idiot says to you a thousand miles away. Uh, Brendan, you're dealing with it the way that I think it should be dealt with, which is you're laughing at them and just whatever, you know, just background noise. It doesn't make a difference. And it's not really hurting anything that you're trying to do professionally. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in, in the next 10 years. Uh, with with internet and with speech, uh, there's a chance it might actually be fine because of the person who's running the show. Uh, uh, but I don't know. I mean, the internet crosses boundaries. So how do you police that? I mean, that that's been something to, to watch. Well, and people have been trying to find a way to put a lid on this for a long time. Well, the whole original purpose of the internet was for it to not be policed. 
it was founded on the idea of kind of being the wild wild west it was also supposed to be decentralized but the five companies that run the internet now uh plus the one that you work for christian uh, uh kind of take away from that that's not accurate but what's yes. not accurate what 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 about that is inaccurate it's not just five companies it's five companies who provide internet to the americans that no, no, is no, a no, problem no. I don't mean ISPs. I mean content providers. There's only there's only a handful of them. That's not and true. That's not true. Well, so you're what, telling what, me that you're telling me that 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 sixty percent of the world doesn't use Facebook. You're telling me that sixty percent of the world doesn't oh, use Twitter. What, I see what you're saying. Okay, and, and, that, and I would not call those content providers in the con, uh, well, they context. They are content providers. They are content the providers, the but they're not like these the internet, ones that rule the world here or anything like that. The internet is decentralized to an extent. It is a matter of, I am actually more concerned about ISPs being able to say, all right, well, now we're going to give these certain companies who pay us better access to their users as opposed to these companies that don't pay us. Or some of these we're just going to bl block because they're not paying us to uh, be on the internet. Right, the whole net neutrality argument. Yeah. But the thing is, is that this, I think they go, our arguments kind of go hand in hand with each other because if you're only really looking at five websites and we only have four ISPs and they kind of do gentlemen's agreements with each other uh, to prioritize traffic, then you, won't, you might not notice a difference, but the people that are actually going to real websites that are run by real people somewhere else uh, will, will hurt. And the websites will be hurt, like us. I can't, I, I mean, I'm not going to pay Cablevision to serve my podcast better, um, even though that's not where it comes from. And cable vision doesn't exist anymore. Um, but yeah. Okay. I think that's enough about that. Um, back to NASA. NASA taking first steps towards high-speed space internet. NASA is developing a trailblazing long-term technology demonstration of what could become the high-speed internet of the sky. The Laser Communications Relay Demonstration, or LCRD, will help NASA understand the best ways to operate laser communication systems. They can enable much higher data rates for communications connections between the spacecraft and Earth, such as scientific data downlink and astronaut communications. <coughs> uh, Brendan, do you have any insight on this? Uh, if, you're, if you're looking at the NASA.gov feature, I and am, you can actually. see that it is shooting a laser from the Earth to Mars, you can see how important it is to have that NASA Authorization Act that says Mars is our end goal. Here's the stepping stones to get there. This is technology that is on the premise of we need to communicate with astronauts on the surface of Mars, so that's why we're developing this. Now, do you think that this could actually start to replace satellite internet in general, where it's just lasers instead of satellites? I, I would think so. I mean, I guess yeah, this is yeah. a satellite, but lasers instead of uh, radio. Yeah, I think I guess. so. I mean, whatever whatever gets there, you know, whatever expedites the communication. Because when when you do have a human presence on the surface of Mars, you're going to need that stuff there fast. Um, so, I mean, that's another reason why they have that atomic clock. Um, that's going to be on a satellite that orbits that orbits Mars uh, to help with communication as well. So. They're really looking to expedite that communication, so whatever works will be great. And then, you know, there's quite a few spinoffs that can come from this, I'm sure, as which is most of the case with NASA. And on this, uh, this, this NASA.gov feature article, uh, it really does look like uh, the Death Star is trying right? to blow it's up. Right, it's pretty scary looking. 
It, yeah. And it makes me think about uh, at the end of RoboCop, where they had that RoboCop 2, where they had that kind of, like, missile defense. It was a Star, it was a, it was a Star Wars like kind of space-based missile defense that accidentally blew up Earth because of some bug in the code. And uh, this kind of looks right up that alley. Yeah, it's a little scary, isn't it? <laughs> Giant laser beams firing at Earth. But no, it's not going to kill you. It's for Netflix. Don't you want to watch <laughs> Netflix in space? It'd be funnier if it actually had better internet access than we can get down here. But Well, that that's um, possibly changing. The, there's There's quite a few companies that want to make these new... Uh, satellite constellations that will blanket the globe with um, with internet access. There's OneWeb Satellites is one company. SpaceX has applied for uh, uh, applied for a license to operate a internet constellation as well. Um, Isn't there a Moonbeam or is that dead from Google? Uh, so uh, go ahead. You would know more than I would. <laughs> so uh, uh, so uh, the. Uh, I, I believe uh, Google's one's a bit more of a research thing than a, uh, actually put it in practice, but I can speak to, uh, right now I'd say that the closest of the tech giants to doing this is uh, Facebook with, uh, they have drones that circle uh, particularly uh, third world countries that don't normally have internet. Uh, with these drones that fly in the stratosphere <laughs> that provide uh, internet. And, and it's just so you can update Facebook. That's great. Yeah, pretty much. And I will say, uh, that SpaceX, the... SpaceX Sorry, wanted on. to rent some space on a communications satellite, um, and they were leasing uh, space on a communications satellite that was being launched by SpaceX, uh, and that one happened to blow up on the launch pad. So Mark Zuckerberg and, and SpaceX were were pretty upset about that one. But uh... but isn't isn't the general latency to satellites low? I mean, mine is this cool laser technology. I'm guessing that's what gets around it. But isn't normal satellite based internet really slow because of this latency uh, yeah i think it's more of access and not speed at this point um the one web satellites they want to put satellites in you know countries that don't normally have access to the internet um but they're also kind of trailblazing satellite manufacturing so their their one web satellites is going to have i think it's a network of like 110 satellites that blanket the globe and they're all going to be built um here in, in Florida and built at the rate of like 10 satellites a month or 10 satellites a week or something. So they're going to have this like high speed uh, manufacturing chain that's going to get these internet satellites out, which is pretty wild if you think about it. That sounds pretty cool. And manufacturing jobs for Florida. Hey, which cool. is why we expected uh, Trump and Pence to say more when they were here on the campaign drill, but they did not. So us, us space journals, I mean, a he's got to about that. He's thinking about yes. number one, which is the things that people say to the stuff that he tweets on the toilet at 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Um, if you've ever... Wa- Actually, here's, a, here's a, a question. Is there too much space junk? Do we have too many things floating around Earth? That's definitely a concern. Um, there's quite a few folks that are trying to figure out how we track all that. Um, at this point, it doesn't seem to be too much of an issue, but it eventually will when you have all these satellite constellations and whatnot and... Who does that fall under? Does that fall under the FAA? Does that fall under a more global, uh, more global authority? It's definitely something we have to think about. I mean, I think it's probably about the same as the uh, space junk in the ocean, which is not really space, but does take up space. You know, the Pacific uh, yeah. trash island is kind of just there, and not really owned by anybody, but again, owned by everybody because it's everybody's junk. 
And, uh, I don't know. If you took a snapshot of the amount of garbage that's literally around and inside of our planet, that does not... We do not really sound like good people. We do not, no. <laughs> we don't. This would, not be a, this would not be a good time to take for aliens to come to Earth. And like, what have you done? What are you doing? There's all this crap around your house. There's all this crap in your house. You're a hoarder. Um... Is there, and I know that part of launching stuff has to negotiate around this space chunk, and eventually with more of it, there will become an increasing problem. Uh, is That's not a thing that people are talking about, other than just the hypothetical, how do we clean no, this there, up? No, there are people that are talking about it. There's, there's, there's symposiums and whatnot as to tracking space. I mean, there is, there is a quarterly publication that comes out that's, for lack of a better word, it's called like Space Junk Quarterly, and it's how to, how to really track where all the crap is. Um, so it's definitely going to be an issue that we need to think about the more stuff that's out there. But, I mean, space is big. Low Earth orbit's big. The chances of running into something in deep space are slim to none, and, and the chances of running into something in low Earth orbit are, are pretty slim as well. That's good. That's, that's pretty... It's good for now, at least. It gives us probably 30 more years before oh, we yeah, have to figure this out. Oh, yeah, if there's constellations uh, and small sats and all that stuff, then, yeah, there's going to be a problem, so... Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the last story on our outline, as we've been here for almost 90 minutes, is uh, the exoplanet hunter. I know we did, or did we talk about that already, actually? We talked about finding exoplanets with light curves. Uh, and this was one of the tabs that crashed when my computer crashed. Uh, planet hunter. Uh, do you have, uh, what is a... Uh, what is an exoplanet hunter, other than what I just yeah, said? Yeah, so basically it, it's um, – right now we've got one out in space um, as well as the Hubble Space Telescope is looking for exoplanets as well. But we have – it's called uh, Kepler. Uh, and Kepler is basically looking at stars and waiting for planets to pass in front of them. Then it measures the, the differential in, in light. Um, we're going to have – Another one launched called the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, uh, TESS. Um, it's going to focus on a much larger kind of pie in the sky uh, looking for these exoplanets. And then we'll also have the, um, the James Webb Space Telescope being launched next year as well. It's going to help look for exoplanets. Um, so we're just starting to kind of find these via this transiting light surveying method. Um, we found like 1,200 last year. Uh, and then we found that huge TRAPPIST-1 system was announced this year. Um, I think the sky's the limit, no pun intended there, as to how many we can find. Yeah. Uh, but will we find ones that are Earth-like and, and have a life on them? Well, that's, that's another story. Right, or could support exactly. our life. Because it seems like we really need to get off this planet soon before we <laughs> ruin it. There's folks working on it. <laughs> Yes, well, unfortunately, they'll be the first yes. ones off. <laughs> and the rest of them, take me with you! I didn't, I didn't know the rapture was just humans. Um, anyway, uh, I don't know anything about the rapture. I'm Jewish. Uh, you're, so let's see. Um, I p pulled up your story, Brendan, from uh, WMFE 90.7, WUCF-FM. Um, is there anything that you want to add uh discovered 104 104 new exoplanets how do we get to there how do we get to any of these uh well we can't um because they're like light years away so we haven't developed the, the, the year, propulsion the faster than light we need yes. warp speed something like basically. that some some sort of high speed so propulsion need, system to get us there um 
we are trying to send some probes out there. Um, if, if if you remember Bill Nye the Science Guy when we were kids, yes, of course, Bill, Bill, Bill. Well, he Bill, heads Bill. um he heads the Planetary Society now, which is a, a nonprofit advocacy group for space exploration, uh, and they're building what's they're calling Light Sail. This is Light Sail Two, um, and it's basically this tiny little satellite, um, probably about the size. If I'm correct, it's about the size of a toaster oven, if not smaller than that. And it's got this giant solar sail on it. And it basically collects uh, photons from the sun that actually use it to, as a propulsion system. Um, and they're hoping that this will be what gets us uh, out of our solar system and, and able to explore uh, these things that we're just starting to find with our, our deep field optical satellites. Um, but if we have something that requires, uh, if, if there, there's solar sails and we leave the solar system, then won't that kill the energy that it needs? I travel? am not a physicist, um, but I believe that there's, there's enough <laughs> photons that will, that will power this thing, or at least it'll have enough momentum to keep it moving. Right. That's true, because there is really not that much slowing you and down there's in nothing, space. Yeah. Um, <sighs> there's nothing, right, except, except your, your, yourself, and that won't even really do anything. Um, do you remember? Did you grow up in did, South Florida, yeah. Brendan? Do you remember the um, Museum of I Discovery yes, and Science of in Fort Lauderdale? Now, have you been there this decade? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think so. <laughs> I have not either. I ha- I still have this memory. There were two space exhibits that still I still keep with me from when I was a child. Uh, one of them was the uh, space shuttle yes. simulator. Yes, that would just shake the seat. And, uh, <laughs> Yes. Exactly, exactly. It was like yes. an Epcot ride. And I remember it saying something like, By the year 2006, the International Space Station will be fully operational and people will be able to live. And that it actually did. happened. Yeah. It's one of the, it's something really cool that you're like, you know, in the way in the future, this is going to happen. And then it does. Um, but and then, by, uh, the by second- 2007, the, 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 were they saying by, by 2007 that they would blow up Alderaan? Because they're... Space station was fully operational, you know. That, that seems to be like the next step. It's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second, the second thing that they had was right next to it was like um, it was like a hydraulic seat. I guess it was like being I, I don't know what it was like, like flying the. That lunar was the the MMU. Mod, that is the module? manned maneuvering unit, and that was used for spacewalks. Ah. Okay. Yeah, and you got to use a joystick and move that mm-hmm. little thing around. Uh, yeah, and I, so I guess you also went there in the mid-90s and probably haven't <laughs> well, been Well, I back went to since. Space Camp and I actually went on an actual MMU simulator, so that's why that one's... <laughs> oh, wow, you went to the actual That's the space only qualification okay. I have for my job. I guess my boss was looking for someone to cover space, and I said, I went to Space Camp and I got the job. <laughs> there you go. And hey, whatever yeah. works, right? Do you enjoy, so do you enjoy working at NPR? I enjoy working at uh, my member station, WMFE, and I do like working with NPR, uh... I, I've contributed a few stories to them. We have a really great editor that handles the Southeast, and he's a huge space nerd, so that really helps getting stories on the network. Um, so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's great. Do you guys, do you have advertising? On your we have underwriting. Yes. Underwriting. <clears throat> uh, and not on the podcast, actually. Uh, you, carbonite not ads? Not on the podcast. <laughs> uh, we, do have, we do have underwriting on the local station and on National Public Radio as well. No, I have to. I have to ask you though, Brendan, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. If your show has a, uh, go to carbonite.com/slash/pull-request and click the radio microphone in the top right corner. That's not necessarily just underwriting. That's, that's kind called of action. Ad. Yeah, we we don't do that. Okay, 
And I've heard that on NPR stuff, though. I know it might may not be WMFE, yeah, it, but I've definitely heard a, that. It's a slippery slope and, and kind of a gray area with the FCC. Uh, the last I heard, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure of this because I don't really deal with underwriting. We we keep a firewall up, so we don't talk to underwriting folks. So we don't know who's we don't Very know who's good. on good ethics. underwriting That's... until we're actually on the air. Um, but they're trying to loosen That's the, good. the regulations That's good. on that, which would open up more underwriters for public radio. But then you kind of blur the line as to are we really public radio at that point then? So, Right. And when you're hawking carbonite ads and audible yes. subscriptions, I would say maybe not. <laughs> and us but, reporters don't uh, like that. We want to we want to maintain our, our, you know, our independence. And but we also don't have to raise the money for the station. So it's, it's a it's a gray area. Yeah, and it's, I know it's tough, and also, once you do let in advertisers, then you kind of have some tongue-in-cheek restrictions that may or, you know, may not be explicitly written, but you don't want to, you know, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. Or, or just uh, kind of relationships that are perceived by our listeners, which is not something we want to have. That's true. That's true. So, well, it sounds like, it sounds like you're fighting the good fight. We um, try. Very good. Well, uh, Brendan, listen, it was very nice having you here. Uh, if you're ever in somewhere, anywhere in the five boroughs, please give me a call. Oh, this was great. Uh, Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Christian, Tyler, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, good happening, Brendan. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, great having you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Awesome Wonderful. Well, then man. I have to have to ask uh, this pertinent question. Do you approve of this week's pull request, Christian? Looks good to me. Tyler? I do. Brendan? Fantastic. Then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week, right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries.